come to save the day. That means that Mighty Mouse is on the way. Thank you very much. We have to go back. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are reviewing the 1999 movie, Man on the Moon. It's a biopic. This is the first biopic that we've done, unless you count uh, Charlie Brown and Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So really the only other two. So it's the third third biopic. No, this this is the only (laughs) biopic that we've done so far, and it's going to change things in an unexpected way. Absolutely. It's it's going to be interesting, but I'm super excited about it. So if you're familiar with our typical format, you know that we have certain segments that we play. Um, you might see some different segments. I'm not making any promises, uh, but you definitely will be missing some segments. I feel like I reverse sold this episode. <laughs> no, just keep listening. <laughs> like, oh, I only came here for the headcanon segment. Oh, man, how are they going to pull off the biopic? <laughs> you guys... Don't sound like that, unless you do, in which case you sound great. And I know a great ear, nose, throat guy that can really (laughs) open that up for you. Have we said the name Andy Kaufman yet? We have not. So, Man of the Moon uh, was released in 1999. It is the biopic for the late comedian Andy Kaufman. And there you go. Actually, let's give you a synopsis. Jim Carrey stars as the late Andy Kaufman, who was considered one of the most innovative, eccentric, and enigmatic uh, performers of his time. A master at manipulating audiences, Kaufman could generate belly laughs, stony silences, tears, or brawls. Whether inviting the audience out for milk and cookies or challenging women to intergender wrestling matches, he specialized in creating performances so real that even his close friends were never sure where the truth lied. Man, it didn't sound like you read that at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, that came straight from a brain space. No, that's a really good synopsis. Most of the time, uh, we have to add on a lot to the synopsis, but that one, that covers a lot of it, some of the broad strokes. Uh, I think the enigmatic part is really, uh, really important. Throughout the movie, you're second-guessing whether or not what you see is actually true. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very much you are as much in on the joke as they want you to be. Uh, and as uh, as much of the target audience as they want you to be at any one given time, and that that pendulum swings back and forth. Uh, so the reason we chose this is because we did the Truman Show last time, which starred uh-huh. Jim Carrey and uh, had an appearance by Paul Giamatti. This is another Jim Carrey Paul Giamatti team up. I believe it's just the following year or later. Truman Show was ninety eight. This is ninety nine. Yep, yep. There also are other ties between this movie and previous movies that we've done. Ricky, go on. Well, we didn't cover specifically Batman Returns or Batman Forever, but Jim Carrey and Danny DeVito, who appear, have played. Uh... Batman villains, but we did cover Batman, so there's a little bit of a Batman tie-in there. Um, yeah. I mean, Paul Giamatti has also played a comic book villain, if you count the rhinoceros. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, also, so the director, uh, Milos Forman, uh, he actually directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and four people were 
from that movie were also in this movie. Uh, you have Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Vincent, Sh- Vincent uh, Shana, 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 Thank you. Uh, and Sydney last, last Schiavelli. <laughs> yeah, Sydney Schiavelli. <laughs> uh, no, Sydney Lasik. Mm. Um, and yeah, so there's just a lot of uh, really interesting ties in there. Um, also, well, and- this this ties back all the way to the very first movie that we ever reviewed. No, by reuniting Christopher Lloyd uh-huh. with Howdy Doody. Oh, Howdy Doody time! You did it! This is the end of the podcast. <laughs> so we've already gotten into it, but let's give you guys some more history about Man on the Moon. So, you might be wondering, why this movie is called Man on the Moon? Maybe you saw the poster and thought, oh, because of the spotlight, he's the man on the moon. That's a play on words because of, you know, that the thing. And you'd be wrong. Mm. So the movie got its name from an R.E.M. song about Andy Kaufman from their uh, 1992 album automatic for the people so the song is called man on the moon because um it refers to the moon landing conspiracy theories um as an allusion to the rumors that kaufman's death in 1984 was faked because the lyrics go if we believe we could put a man on the moon words 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 man on the moon yeah I will say this soundtrack is absolutely worth checking out. I got this in high school and I listened to it on repeat. There are so many fun ways that they cut it together. It's one of those soundtracks where they used to intercut dialogue with the actual um, track, which is a pretty popular thing in specifically Jim Carrey movies. Like the Grinch (laughs) does that as well. Um, But it's a really fun soundtrack because uh, like R.E.M. heavily involved throughout the entire movie. And the song that Jim Carrey sings at the end is actually, he sings a duet with Michael from R.E.M. uh, with a special appearance by Tony Clifton. So the soundtrack itself has its own bits in it that are worth checking out. That's excellent. Yeah, so the lyrics are, if you believe they put a man on the moon, man on the moon, if you believe there's nothing up his sleeve, then nothing is cool, which I have no clue um, what the nothing is cool part is, but it's just kind of saying, like, if you believe that they could put a man on the moon, you can believe that he, he did all these things, and even though the realness of it feels fake, it's still real. There you go. There you go. Shimmer. <laughs> shimmer in jazz yeah. hands. Shimmer, shimmer, shimmer. Yeah, so not only that, but the um, movie, when it was originally released, flopped, actually. It was a box office flop. Uh, it earned $47 million worldwide, and it cost $82 million, uh, because those are some very expensive milk and cookies that they uh, got. Uh, also, it probably cost them a lot of money to pay all the people who were a part of Andy Kaufman's actual life to reprise their roles as themselves, because mm-hmm. uh, it was a star-studded cast. Like this guy was everywhere. So, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the recasting they they did with those people, because mm-hmm. not everyone that came back was playing who they were originally in Andy Kaufman's life, right. and it gets a little confusing. <laughs> Here are some people who played themselves. Um, Jerry Lawler. The wrestler. He played himself. David Letterman uh, played himself, even though he refused to wear a wig or makeup to make himself look like himself in 1980. Um, Lauren Michaels. 
uh, Howdy Doody. Yeah, a lot of acting from Lauren Michaels, too. Right? <laughs> like, a surprising amount of acting. Oh, yeah. Like, a ton of it. Yeah. Yeah, he but- even played, um, technically, he played um, Dick Ebersole because Lauren Michaels left the show when Andy Kaufman um, was voted off. Ah, I see. Yeah, so technically it was one of the the dark times in snl (laughs) right yeah Yeah. um so you had doris eaton um also played herself um and most of the cast of taxi including judd hirsch uh merlou henner christopher lloyd carol kane uh, jeff conway and j allen thomas everyone except for um tony danza um danza and then richard belzer who introduced Andy on SNL. So those people played themselves. Right. Now, where it starts to get confusing is when we have people returning, but playing others in Andy Kaufman's life. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do the best to clearly communicate this without being able to draw you a diagram. (laughs) So let's start with Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito was a cast member on Taxi, but he is not represented as part of the Taxi cast because when asked who he wanted to play himself, DeVito was just like, just leave me out of the cast and we'll focus on me playing the part of... uh, George Shapiro. Of George Shapiro. Mm -hmm. Um, So George Shapiro being Andy's manager. Now, the real George Shapiro appears in the film Mm -hmm. as the club owner at the very beginning that fires Andy after playing the Barnyard Animal song. Yep. He's like, um, and if you're not funny, <laughs> he gives him the idea of doing the basically all the the jokes, which Andy interprets as doing parodies of the jokes. Yep. Um, and so, uh, if you've ever seen the documentary comedian, which I highly recommend, uh, with Jerry Seinfeld, George Shapiro, the real George Shapiro, plays a huge part in that documentary too. Uh, so to kind of connect the dots there, you can see a little bit more of that comic history um, through the eyes of George Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Uh, now. Uh, Paul Giamatti plays Andy Kaufman's cohort, Bob Zamuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the real Bob Zamuda also appears in the film as Jack Burns. He is the producer for the show Fridays, which was similar to SNL, but in, it's the scene where he doesn't want to do the drug humor uh and uh, the real Bob Zamuda plays Jack Burns, who's the guy with the, the glasses, and he gets into the fight, but then ends up being in on it as well. Is everybody is everybody tracking? If not, hit hit that fifteen second back deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, and another interesting thing is uh, Norm Macdonald uh, played Friday's Michael, and that Michael was Michael Richards. Mm. Michael Richards was the one who went off screen brought the cue cards and slammed them down in front of Andy Kaufman. That's really interesting. I did not realize that. Yeah. Yeah, so that was originally Michael Richards and I I can't remember why I think there was some kind of story for as to why Michael Richards did not want to play himself. Mm-hmm. Um but there goes Norm played Michael Richards. Interesting. Now there's one really interesting cameo uh from a family member of Kaufman. So the role of young Carol Kaufman, who's uh Andy's mm-hmm. sister, uh she was actually played by Andy Kaufman's granddaughter, Brittany Colonna. Uh, so she was playing her own great aunt. <laughs> Has to be weird for her. Probably didn't even know it. Didn't even oh, know yeah, it. true. There's that, too. <laughs> and she was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> she was a baby. Yeah. So there's a lot of great rich history because, I mean, 
again, Andy Kaufman, this is a biopic. So uh, they are telling the story of someone who lived. And so he, just Kaufman's life is just such a rich history. Um, you know, he was one of the, uh, he was a writer on SNL for a really long time. Um, he made a movie uh, called, um, <laughs> it was, uh, sorry, My Breakfast with Blassie. Uh, which was a 1983 film starring Andy Kaufman, and which is the real life interaction of how he actually met his wife. Um, but it was a mostly improvised parody of My Dinner with Andre. Oh, uh, so it's set in a restaurant where Kaufman and Blassie just have a discussion over breakfast. Uh, and so Lynn, um, who in the movie she he met uh, Courtney Love. Who I realized I could never pick out in a lineup. No, <laughs> it's like uh, my friend Cooper, who I was watching this with. He's like, "Oh yeah, that's Courtney Love." I'm like, "What?" I I completely forgot what she looked like. Which is interesting that she plays this role. She played the role of Andy Kaufman's wife only five years after Kurt Cobain's death. So oh, wow. she that's very fresh for her still that she was uh, portraying someone who was about to lose their celebrity spouse. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, art imitating life there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the other interesting thing is that like, I think so many people were able to uh, play themselves in this biopic because this is, this came out just uh, a little over 15 years after he actually passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, it was just so interesting to see all these people like, reprise the roles just as themselves. Um, but yeah, he has such a rich history. And um, I think the last little fun fact we'll throw in there before we actually get into our reaction to the film is that um, like Andy said at the very beginning of the movie, um, all the most important things in my life are changed around and mixed up for dramatic purposes. Um, the milk and cookies event was not actually his farewell concert at Carnegie hall. Yeah, that, in fact, happened in 1979, five years before his death, um, because it's it was said that when he was sick in, like, the last couple of years of his life, um, one of, um, I forget what their positions are called, but humans who are in charge of biographies, they were saying that um, in the last couple of years of his life, um, he was just kind of just going to these different bars and kind of performing um, un, like out of the spotlight, really. Hmm. It was said that he kind of liked the anonymity. It was, it was just, that's kind of, he just kind of went out and faded into the background um, until his passing. Uh, but the last thing we'll add, I will add is this quote from Roger Ebert and his uh, review of the film. So Robert Ebert says, Kaufman's act was essentially a meditation on the idea of entertainment. He would entertain you, but you have to cave in first. You had to laugh at something really dumb or let him get away with something boring or outrageous. If you passed the test, he was like a little kid delighted to be allowed into the living room at last. He'd entertain, all right, but you had to pass the entry exam. And that's something that is just very, it's shown a lot throughout this movie. Um, which I think is a flawless way to go into what our reactions of the movie was. Right. It's not our, our, our goal to review Andy Kaufman. It's our goal right. to take a look at how this movie looks at Andy Kaufman. And that mm-hmm. quote is great because that's really what the movie does. It starts out with the, uh, 
basically a bit that Kaufman would have pulled in a cinematic format of telling people the movie was no good, so we're going to skip to the ending, and then having a very long, silent pause, Mm -hmm. um, and then saying, good, now everyone that wouldn't understand me and wouldn't get it should be gone. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's like, they wouldn't understand the characters, just like the one I played then and the one I'm playing now. Uh, (laughs) So it sets up immediately that feeling of, okay, this is going to be a ride it's not going to be a typical film Um, right so that's cool i i really like the way that they tee up the film uh oh yeah to to get you on board and it tells you everything you really need to know about andy kaufman's style even if you Mm -hmm. knew nothing about andy kaufman and had never seen any of his act yeah yeah that was one thing that i noticed it's like though the movie does give you bits and pieces from um, Kaufman's life and kind of gives you a look into the kind of comedic mind he was. Um, this guy made the news constantly. So um, by the time this movie came out, I, it felt like a lot of people already knew a lot of these things, like the whole wrestling thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was watching that for the first time. I was just like, I didn't know this was a thing. Oh yeah. It's uh, probably the most polarizing thing in his career. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> the movie showed that yeah. <laughs> very well. Um, but like I went back and that's a really interesting thing and crazy thing about biopics is that the scenes that they, um, were reenacting, you can go online and watch them. And I just mm-hmm. watched, um, you can watch the Letterman show, uh, interview, mm-hmm. like the actual televised interview and how like they basically had like a, just a, a longer conversation than what they showed in the film. Yeah. Um, but With Jerry Lawler. It, it was, yeah, it was it was amazing to see like that's that's this is what actually happened. And on the SNL website cuz recently with their 40 years they like did a ton of backlog stuff. So I went online and I like, saw the episode where they were saying call this number if you want to see Andy Kaufman on the show again and they basically voted him off so you can actually see these clips of his life unfold online and it's so interesting to see um, all these actual events go back and forth. But yeah, watching him wrestling, it was like, it was so bizarre, but like he made the news multiple times. And so I think that there was more of a public conscience that they were assuming people knew about Andy Kaufman that they were showing. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest reaction from the film was seeing how um, similar uh, Kaufman's origins are to uh, Steve Martin. Just like how they were just playing a music act at a club. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, because Steve Martin's whole deal was anti jokes. That mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> he didn't want to. He he wanted to play the performer, but how how much can you twist entertainment in on itself before you're doing a parody of entertainment? Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. good. But man, and I didn't realize how, and that's the other thing, like Taxi played a big part of this movie. And that's another thing that a lot, I think a lot of people knew Kaufman from. And I remember vaguely growing up and watching Taxi on TV, but never knowing that I was watching Andy Kaufman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I loved Andy Kaufman's character watching it as a kid, um, but I mostly watched it because I knew Doc Brown was in it. Um, right, and I knew Matilda's dad was also in it. Oh my gosh, you're yeah. right. <laughs> that, those were the big selling points for me. Uh, and I was a big Judd Hirsch fan. <laughs> like most kids were. Yeah. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, um, seeing his role in Taxi, and some people, like, again, um, because this is a biopic and it is an adaptation of someone's life, there are going to be different people who saw different sides to this person, and a lot of people um, who worked on Taxi, I think one of the showrunners actually said that Kaufman was a complete professional every single time, Mm -hmm. and that um, he knew about... um, his many many characters what was the name of the character that he played in the the jazz lounge singer tony clifton tony Tony clifton Clifton. i need a moist toilet (laughs) yeah tony clifton that that whole deal is is such a bizarre alter ego um that plays a huge part in the movie is you never really know who tony clifton is at any given time Um, And the moment, what was your reaction the moment that Tony Clifton's on stage and Andy Kaufman walked out behind him? My brain threw up on itself. I'm like, wait, what? What's that? Wait, did this really happen? And again, you can look online. It it did. And (laughs) kudos to, uh, in the performance of the movie of Jim Carrey, and Paul Giamatti to nail that that imitation so exactly that you cannot tell a difference between the two of them. No. I was just like, wait, did they just pay a guy? I, I think my reaction was, oh, so Tony Clifton's a real guy then. Like, that was my reaction. Like, oh, so he's just a real guy. And he only played him once or twice? And so or? then it would mean that the story that Tony Clifton said on the phone the very first time was true. And yeah. Andy Kaufman saying, I used to do impressions of this guy. He's really upset about it. I owe him one. Uh, that whole story, the through line makes sense, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. no, it was, it was a partner deal. I, I was just so thrown off by that. And then when the movie ended, I'm just like, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to believe. Such a good way to end it. So that those impersonations of Tony Clifton, uh, I believe they still happen. Uh, that idea that Andy Kaufman lives on. Uh, through these impersonations, much the same way that, ironically, Elvis uh, lives on through Elvis impersonators, um, with Andy Kaufman being actually one of the great Elvis impersonators. Um, It's just this bizarre spaghetti loop of uh, living on through imitation. Um, Oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, it's such a great way to end it, because when you watch it, you see, in the movie, you see Danny DeVito, and then you see, well, George Shapiro, uh, mm-hmm. next to Lynn, Courtney Love. Uh, and so you're like, oh, it's it's Bob Zamuda again. It's Paul Giamatti. And then you see it, and it pans through the crowd, and Paul Giamatti's watching the impersonator. Yeah. Uh, I was just like, what? What? And then I learned about like how Kaufman would, because he played these long cons and the long game of these jokes, because like, like um the whole wrestling act mm-hmm. with um with Jerry Lawler, it was like ten years mm-hmm. after it happened that he said, "Hey, I was in on it, and we were good friends." They they held that secret for ten years. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So with him making these really big. Uh, performance arts type stunts um people didn't know and like in the movie how they showed the like his friends didn't know if he was joking or not oh when, um, he, when he tells him he has cancer yeah, yeah and then it's when he and he even mentioned earlier in the movie that's why i thought it was a setup and a payoff i'm like oh he said well anything short of me faking my own death i can't 
surprise the audience anymore. They're expecting me to surprise them. I was like, oh, so he clearly faked his death. Yeah. And so then... The two options he gives are fake his own death or set the theater on fire. Yep. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's way early in the movie. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I, I would be... I wouldn't believe it. Like, that... Like, that, I feel like that equivalent would be, like, David Blaine saying, I'm going to die right now. It's like, okay, David Blaine, sure. And then it would be several months until I would actually believe that he actually died. Like... Like it's it's because David Blaine does these really outrageous type stunts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just what I would come to expect because people expect that. Like it would be Andy Kaufman that people would expect uh, him to do something that outrageous. Yeah, exactly. It was totally in his personality, and I I think it's such a great moment right before the funeral. Uh, I say, great. It's a heartbreaking moment. But right. um, so he has just told his friends that he has cancer. They're processing that. He does the sad comedy show, uh, powers through it, does the Carnegie Hall, which we talked about is a little out of sync with uh, how it actually happened. But for the purposes of telling this story, does mm-hmm. the big Carnegie Hall deal and then goes to the Philippines to have the cancer extracted from his body which was a, a a thing that people believed was real that you could go to the philippines and this healer would physically pull tumors through your skin um and never leave a mark uh and he goes there and realizes this was as much of a joke and a scam as anything he ever did and mm-hmm. he can't help in that moment just to laugh and then that laughter fades into his funeral it's such a magnificent sequence of events um to where by the time you get to the funeral and he is speaking to you through the the projection that's been pre-recorded, you're just so raw. You've experienced everything that he said he wanted you to feel in the Carnegie Hall show, where it's like you love him, you hate him, you cry, you just you don't know what to think anymore. And by the end, you just get the feeling of look at all of these lives that he's touched and influenced for better or for worse. They came together to celebrate his life. It it's such a special moment, and then to cap that yeah. off with "I will survive" by Tony Clifton, uh, that he's just gonna he's gonna live on, and I think yeah. that's the one thing in the editing that at first really threw me off is when he's hitting the big end of "I will survive." They show you the different images of like Charlie Chaplin's neon light sign that's up in the comedy store, or uh, you have like Laurel and Hardy that gets shown really quickly, and it gets real choppy, and then you realize right in that final moment as you pan out and fade into the credits that Andy Kaufman for everything he did is just as much a comedy legend as the rest of them. And his face deserves that place up in lights on the wall. Um, Mm -hmm. So just from that moment on, it's such a beautiful um, portrayal of what the end looks like for someone who has lived so dangerously and so, just out of the box his entire life. And that, I mean, perfectly said. Like, and Jim Carrey, oh my goodness, he nailed it. Yeah, let's let's talk about that casting. Um, yeah. I, it's hard for me to picture anyone else as Andy Kaufman. He has so many yeah. ties to Andy Kaufman. They're even born on the same day. Like Born on the same, same day. day. And, uh, like, 
Jim Carrey owns Andy Kaufman's congas, the the ones that you mm-hmm. see in the film. It's I think there's a really spiritual connection between the two of them. Jim Carrey has dealt with his own uh, demons of duality in his own personal life, which he's been somewhat vocal about, but um, just dealing with, with those elements, the same kind of elements that Andy Kaufman dealt with, I think it'd be very difficult for other actors to portray it with such heart and, and transparency. Um, but let, we, can, we can go through some of the actors that were considered, though. John Cusack, Kevin Spacey, and Hank Azaria all auditioned for Andy Kaufman. That's so bizarre. Right? I also read that Nick Cage and Tom Hanks auditioned. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I could surprisingly see Nick Cage do that, but I feel like he could do performance Kaufman, but I don't know if he could do like the the little ticks that like Jim Carrey did just so flawlessly, just him um in every facet of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the posture, the the hand yeah. movements. Yeah. Um, so I could see Hank Azaria actually doing an amazing right? job, and I'd be interested to see how this would have changed Hank. I mean, Hank Azaria doing very well for himself with <laughs> a billion episodes of Simpsons under his belt, but to to see how this would have possibly changed the the course of Hank Azaria's film career, mm-hmm. um, to see him in such a dramatic role uh, would have been really interesting. Yeah, I could also kind of see John Cusack because like all those people look. Like Andy Kaufman. Like, I feel like John Cusack might have been able to swing it. I feel like Hank Azaria would have been able to deliver the the whole package. Uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, fun fact, when I watched this movie, I watched it on VHS, and Kevin Space, or a trailer for another Kevin Spacey movie, uh, American Beauty, uh, was the trailer for it. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Now I'm just picturing uh, Andy Kaufman doing House of Cards quotes. <laughs> I think now is as good a time as ever to uh, head into our titular segment. Hey, no, hey, this is a called. family podcast, Ricky. <laughs> you keep uh, those filthy words to yourself. Uh, now it's time to go into um, the segment that we do in every single uh, podcast. Headcanon. Headcanon. He's alive. Um, oh, it's tough no. to do headcanon for a biopic. No. I, I was... I was completely joking. It was one of my Kaufman jokes. Um, I actually do have headcanon for this film. Oh, oh really? Uh, yeah. Basically, that if you look at it, I think all of the evidence strongly suggests that uh, Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton were actually the same person. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It holds up. However it many episodes, up. it was all leading up to this. Uh <laughs> You can't deny it. Oh, that's so good. Uh, so uh, we're not going to do headcanon uh, for the mm-hmm. obvious reason. Uh, but what we are going to do is an interesting spin on recast and remake. Um, I think that this casting is actually really solid, especially when you have a biopic and you're actually able to pull in people from this person's actual life. So, But because this is a biopic on a very famous comedian, uh, we're going to talk about and basically pitch... Um, who we would cast for other comedian biopics. Oh, yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> okay. So my first one, because uh, I, I I have several. My first one is going to be Richard Pryor starring Steve Harvey. That's good. As That's Richard good. Pryor. 
Interesting. I, I would do Richard Pryor. The movie would be called Pryor Convictions, and <laughs> it would start. It would start yes. Keenan Thompson, but the big like hype story around it would be like Keenan got in shape to play Pryor. He like put himself through this rigorous like set of exercises, things like that, and he like really stepped into the role, and it would really launch Keenan's like dramatic career. It needs to happen. I I like the name Pryor Convictions. It's perfect. Who do you have? Uh, I would like to see the movie adaptation of the autobiography by Steve Martin, Born Standing Up. Mm-hmm. For the role of Steve Martin, I would cast Steve Carell. Oh, that's good. I think he could really nail that role. You know who I had for that? Because I had Steve Martin as well. Bill Hader. Bill Hader would be pretty great, too. He really would be. Oh, man. Yeah. They could even play different incarnations of... Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. To play the, the two sides of it. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting for that movie. It will be made, and it will be glorious. Oh, absolutely. No, that would be amazing. All right, the next person who I had on my list is uh, Eddie Murphy. Okay. Uh, and I would want uh, either uh, Eddie Murphy to play him or Jay Farrow. Yeah, Jay Farrow was the first one that came to mind for me as well. Yeah. I like the idea of Eddie Murphy because Eddie Murphy has aged amazingly well and he plays multiple roles in all of his films. So I would love yeah. Eddie Murphy <laughs> to just play the entire cast. Oh my goodness, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, oh, it's called Mur- Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law, yeah. Ah. On NBC, just barely. <laughs> just barely. All right, so the next one on my list is um, Lucille Ball. Hmm. That would probably be Kristen Wiig. Yes, that's who I had. Yeah, I, that would that would be a great one. Um, I I I think that Amy Adams could also uh, attack that role really well. Yeah, yeah. Amy, wow, yeah, you're right. Hmm. Amy Poehler, I would also love to Ooh. see play Lucille Ball. Yeah. Let's do yeah. let's do that. You think there's going to be a um, a Seinfeld movie? It would be interesting to see, but I don't think they would do it now. But if they were to do a Seinfeld movie, mm-hmm. um, I cannot think of any John Hamm. John Hamm is Jerry Seinfeld. John Hamm is Jerry. That Seinfeld. is the most generous casting I have ever heard. <laughs> because here's the thing. Hear me out. All right. <laughs> It's only because I can't imagine anyone else who could play Jerry Seinfeld without take the bet Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon could do it. I I was actually thinking another SNL alum, uh, like all the other ones that we've named so far, Andy Samberg. Oh, there he is. That's the one, uh, Andy Samberg. I, watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, Andy Samberg's style has even changed from the first season of that show. Um, so I think he could he could play the maturity. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah, well, the reason for John Hamm was just like, I couldn't imagine anyone else who could play young Jerry Seinfeld uh, without it just being a parody on, like, a bad impression of it. I'm like, yeah, we need someone who's, like, a serious actor, but who's also comedic, and then John Hamm came to mind. Oh, so you're thinking, like, uh, Brian Cranston as Kramer? <laughs> <laughs> yes! Which would be a lot of fun because Brian, it'd be like Man on the Moon because Brian Cranston actually was in several episodes of Seinfeld. There it is. It'd be perfect. The next one I'll say is um, Gilda Ratner, Emma Stone. 
Oh my gosh, no further questions. Absolutely. That Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, all of it like it's just that would be perfect casting. Yeah. Who would play Gene Wilder? Ooh. Because she was married mm. to Gene Wilder. That's right. Hmm. Gene Wilder. Eugene Levy. What? That <laughs> that age difference is so drastic. <laughs> I, I was. I was. You know, they don't have to have the first name. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. That, that's the uh, Eugene Levy Wilder. Pretty... <laughs> Eugene Hackman Levy Wilder. <laughs> oh goodness! I, I think old Gene Wilder could be played by uh, Peter Capaldi. Ooh, I think he could do that really well. But it's finding that young. Oh my gosh! Who? Oh, it's perfect. Tom Hiddleston. That'd be strong. Oh my goodness, he looks just like it. there's a young picture of him. Look up uh G Wilder lookalike and go to images. Oh wow. Right? That is insanity. Right? That's crazy. Like from a selling tickets perspective. <laughs> let's let's get Emma Stone and Tom Hiddleston together and do the Gilda Ragnar story. Hey, listen, Hollywood, you you're done. You're done. <laughs> And then my last one I'll throw out there, George Carlin, uh, often seen as the uh, grandfather of modern observational stand-up comedy. Who do you get to play George Carlin? I mean, I think it's obvious. Season one, Luke from Modern Family. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Hollywood, uh, we just gave you a list of just Academy Award winning biopics. Uh, We will wait for our uh, Academy Awards in the mail our address is at com. that's smart to bleep that out oh no that's no that that's what it is oh spelled like it sounds mm-hmm. <laughs> 17 e's <Got> right <laughs> speaking of academy award-winning biopics I think this is a good topic for discussion in uh, whatever form that we engage in discussion. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that we've noticed recently with uh, the past couple Oscars is that, you know, biopics seem to, uh, they win. They win a lot of stuff or at least get nominated. Basically. So one of the things you and I have talked about uh, at pretty great length is should biopics be their own category in the Academy Awards and the Oscars um, because it's a very different discipline than telling an original story with balancing actual fact and crafting a story around it. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it should be its its own thing. The acting's totally different too. Like, do you portray the same person? Are you creating this new fresh character? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard category to compete with. Like, Oh well, I created this character, and as an actor, I put forth this role. Um, but or like, I I kind of lent this personality and this characterization to this character versus I am being this character. Like it, it, it takes a lot of work, but also takes a different kind of skill. Not necessarily a skill set, but like you have to look and be this person who people already know exist. Right. You look at the difference of acting between Jim Carrey's performance between Truman Show to Man on the Moon, both great performances, totally different methods for achieving the end result. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, and then final note in the the connection between these two movies that we kind of touched on at the beginning was uh, it was interesting to watch them uh, back to back uh, in mm-hmm. in recording these because you have the Truman Show, which is about a character who basically lives a completely honest life, but everybody's watching him um, and he doesn't know it. As opposed to Man on the Moon, where everybody's watching him. But he, you never know if it's honest or not. You never know Ooh. if it's a joke. Um, it's it is interesting. It is the like the exact opposite of each other. Wow, that's solid. So it's a good good one two punch if you're looking for a Jim Carrey uh, dramatic performance. Yeah, marathon. That's really good. Well, I think that's as good a point as any to transition into our reasons to recommend. Um, Grayson, why would you recommend this movie? In addition to what you've already just said. Well, if you're a fan of comedy history like we are, uh, it's definitely uh, a great uh, narrative way to dig into some of the the historical elements of these comedic personalities. Because it's not just Andy Kaufman. There are so many different personalities that were tied to his story. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an interesting way to see how one person can take whatever it is they do in Andy Kaufman's case it was comedy but it could easily be a story about a teacher or a story about a coach or what whatever it is and shake up the way people think about it completely mm-hmm. um, and in that sense it's a very motivating uh, kind of kind of story similar to like the job Steve Jobs biopic where it's like here's a guy who had a concept that was totally different than everybody else and he stepped in and just like made waves. It's that it's that kind of story and those are the stories that are fun to watch and have staying power. And so it's not even just paying tribute to the man himself, uh it's just paying tribute to the process of innovation of not settling for the status quo of actually contributing something to your art. Uh, and uh, I think I think that celebration has uh, a real journey and catharsis to it that uh, is worth watching. Absolutely, could not agree more. Uh, so I won't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that the movie I would recommend this movie uh, as part of like what you said, looking back at a comic or comedy lineage. Um, there's this idea that you can g- go back and trace um, the quote-unquote teachers of uh, some of your uh, inspirations. So it looks like this. Basically, like, if you look at Jim Carrey, like, he was inspired deeply by Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. And you look back at Andy Kaufman, he was deeply inspired by the TV that he watched and Howdy Doody and all these other, like, shows and music and Elf, like he was in, inspired by all these other people so going back and seeing this movie um is a great snapshot of looking at andy kaufman's um life and performance and there's also i would highly recommend looking back at his original performances because dude is dedicated to his craft because he i mean it, it was just so interesting to be able to see his story in that way like the movie i think does Mm -hmm. um his impact justice and um i think a lot of the um duality 
of comedy and just it shows you like another side of what comedy can be like it he it doesn't have to be one thing like i feel like we're at a day and age where we have very fixed into our brain like what it means to do a thing like hey a movie has to be this or a comedy has to be this and kaufman was not afraid to turn it on its head or to do the complete opposite, but still entertain you and still do comedy. And it, uh, as a comedian myself, it was uh, really inspiring to see him be, not be afraid to break the mold mm-hmm. um, and to still value comedy enough to get risky with it. A lot of comedians live out their comedy. They are all consumed by it. But Andy Kaufman, if you have method actors, I think Andy Kaufman is a method comedian. Even though he said he was not an actor, he wasn't any of these things, uh, he's just a song and dance man. Um, I think he's the Daniel Day-Lewis of comedy. Like that he is totally just absorbed in it. And uh, like you're talking about the lineage, you have the this DNA of comedy that's passed on from performer to performer. Jim Carrey was the same way in shooting this film. Uh, he only wanted people to refer to him as Andy Kaufman. He had that delineation between this is my real life and this is uh, my my persona and he dissolved it very intentionally mm-hmm. um to make it just this one cohesive unit during the time of shooting um which is a very kaufman-esque thing so i think it, it goes into like to become andy kaufman he became andy kaufman as much as he could but uh just go see the movie just watch it just yeah enjoy it or don't enjoy it andy kaufman didn't care that he, yeah, just listen to him. Love it or hate it, he just wants you to have an experience. So that just about does it for our review of Man on the Moon. Let us know what you thought of the movie. If you've seen it uh, recently or if you remember it from your past, let us know about the movie. We want to talk to you about it on Twitter. We are at Flashback Flicks. And let us know what you thought of this review that you are currently listening to on iTunes and Stitcher. Search in your specific browser for Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast, and you'll find us there. There you can leave a review and let us know. Once you thought, leave us a review telling us uh, if you think Grayson and I are actually the same person. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're the same person. (laughs) Um, Um, If I I had to pick a headcanon, it would be the uh, Fight Club Theory. Yep. You get me season one Luke from Modern Family on the phone right now. <laughs> uh, and be sure to tune in next time where we watch Stark take on the Nazis. <laughs> in the 1992 biopic Chaplin starring Robert Downey Jr. And this movie is currently on Netflix at the time of this recording. So if um, if it's not there in the future, um, uh, we're, we're sorry. Please don't get upset not our fault sometimes i just want to punch you in your perfect teeth i mean i'm not in charge of the internet grayson could you be more civil oh this is war (laughs) (laughs) so be part of the conversation next time right here on the flashback flicks retro movie podcast until next time remember to be kind and rewind Thank you very much.